Lesson 13 for June 17 through to 23, Major Themes in 1st and 2nd Peter. Sabbath afternoon, June 17. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're coming to the end of this beautiful study on the books of 1st and 2nd Peter. And in there we found salvation, we found you, we found more knowledge about where there are problems that can occur in the world and in the Christian community. But we find there also assurance that we can find Jesus, we can get to know you, we can find the path to walk along. And as we do so this week by opening your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide our thoughts and help us in our personal lives, we pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is 1 Peter chapter 2 and 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that, free from sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. Let's read that again, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. It's from the New Revised Standard Version. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that, free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. First and Second Peter were written for practical purposes. In 1 Peter, the big issue Peter confronted was the persecution that Christians were facing. In 2 Peter, the great issue was false teachers. Peter wrote forcefully and authoritatively as he sought to encourage his readers, as well as warn them in regard to the challenges before them. What is significant is that Peter responds to both issues in theological terms. The sufferings caused by persecution led Peter to meditate on the sufferings and death of Jesus, which had resulted in our salvation. The false teachers are going to face the judgment. This judgment will take place after Jesus returns to this earth with the saved after the thousand years in heaven have ended. These are some of the themes that Peter deals with in his two letters. This final week's lesson will look in more detail at five of the themes Peter wrote about. The suffering of Jesus that led to our salvation, our practical response to the knowledge that God will judge our actions at the last judgment, the hope we have in the soon return of Jesus, order in society and in the church, and the role Scripture has in providing guidance in our lives. Sunday, June 18. Suffering, Jesus and Salvation. Question. Read the following passages and note what each reveals about salvation. 1 Peter 1 and verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. And First Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Whom having not seen you love, 
Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And First Peter 1 verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. And first Peter chapter two verses twenty two to twenty five. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. When Peter mentions salvation... It is usually in the context of Jesus' suffering as a substitute for sinners. For example, in 1 Peter 2, 22-24, when Peter writes about the sufferings of Jesus, he is using language that reflects Isaiah 53, verses 5, 6, and 9. Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the cross, and by whose stripes you were healed. Reveal the ideas of substitution and sacrifice. In many of the sacrifices described in the Hebrew Bible, sinners brought their offerings to the temple and laid their hands on them. This act symbolically transferred the sin from the sinner to the animal, which then died in the sinner's place, as you read in Leviticus chapter 4 and chapter 14. The uncleanness of sin that accumulated on the altar was cleansed and removed on the Day of Atonement, which we read about in Leviticus chapter 16. The blood of the sacrifice played an important role in atoning for sin. Christians have been ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus, as we've just read in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1. Paul, too, expressed the same idea of substitution. Jesus who knew no sin, became sin for us in 2 Corinthians 5.21. As 1 Peter 3.18 states, Christ suffered for sins, the righteous Jesus, for the unrighteous us. Like Paul from Romans 3.21 and 22, Peter emphasises the need for faith, as he says to his readers, Although you have not seen him, you love him, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's First Peter 1, 8 and 9. Salvation is not earned by godly behaviour, but it is granted when we believe in what Jesus has done for us and accept him as our personal saviour. Our assurance is found in him, not in ourselves. If it were in ourselves, what real assurance would we have? And so to finish today, why is Jesus as your substitute the great hope of salvation? What comfort can you draw from this wonderful truth? 
Monday, June 19. How should we live? A theme that Peter returns to more often than any other is posed by the question he asked in 2 Peter 3.11. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness? Question. Read the following texts. What does Peter say about Christian behaviour? First of all, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And verse 22, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And First Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And First Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But, on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And First Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion for ever and ever. Amen. And Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Peter considers Christian behaviour at many points in his two letters, and a number of themes keep recurring. First, Peter twice emphasises the link between the judgment of God and Christian behaviour, in 1 Peter 1.17 and 2 Peter 3.11. God will judge everyone's actions. Thus, a Christian should live a life of holiness. Second, several times, Peter mentions that Christians should be holy. In the Hebrew Bible, things that are holy are set aside for use in the temple, as in Exodus 26 and 28 and 29, or for God's purposes, for example, the Sabbath in Genesis 2-3. In fact, God's plan was that his people should be holy, just as he is holy, a theme Peter touched on too. The process of setting something aside as holy is called sanctification, sanctification. 
And Peter's desire is that his readers become sanctified by the Spirit and be obedient to Jesus, as we read in 1 Peter 1 verse 2. Third, Peter has provided some specifics as to the kind of behaviour appropriate to those who are sanctified. They should rid themselves of malice, guile, insecurity, envy and slander in chapter 2 verse 1. They should have unity in spirit, love for one another and a humble mind in chapter 3 verses 8 and 9. They should have goodness, godliness and love as we read in Second Peter 1 5 to 7. Indeed, they must maintain constant love as he said in First Peter chapter 4. Finally, Peter urges his listeners to cast their anxiety upon Jesus in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, which reads, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And so to finish today, how can we learn to encourage one another in ways that are not judgmental, to live the kind of life that Peter is calling for in his epistles? Tuesday, June 20, Hope in the Second Coming Question. Read the following texts and note what is said about future events. Well, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter 1, 17. And... If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. 1 Peter 4, 5 and 6 They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and, if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through to 10 Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation." For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. One of the crucial issues facing those who first heard and read First Peter was persecution. Peter comforts his readers with the thought that even though their lives may be hampered by persecution, there is a future reward waiting for them in heaven, a reward that cannot be taken away. Very early in First Peter, he mentions that Christians have an imperishable inheritance kept in heaven for them in First Peter 1 verse 4. Peter highlights two things that will take place in the future, the last judgment and the fiery destruction of evil. In other words, he shows that although there is persecution now, justice and judgment will be done, and believers will receive their eternal reward. Peter mentions judgment on three separate occasions, 1 Peter 1.17, 4 verse 5, and 6 and verse 17. He says that God the Father judges all humans impartially according to their deeds. He notes that Jesus himself stands ready to judge the living and the dead. He also makes the intriguing observation that judgment starts with the household of God. Peter also emphasizes that the godless will be destroyed in a worldwide firestorm. Peter spends some time dealing with problems that arose about whether or not Jesus is indeed coming back. He points out that the delay of Jesus' second coming is to allow more people to repent and be saved. He also points out that the certainty of a future reckoning should convince everyone to live a holy and blameless life. Thus, however focused Peter is on the here and the now and on practical Christian living, he still keeps before his readers the future hope that awaits them. In short, whatever the circumstances at the moment, they need to press on ahead in faith and obedience. And so to finish today, why too must you press on ahead in faith and obedience, regardless of your circumstances? What other option is there? Wednesday, June 21. Order in society and in the church. Question. Read the following passages. What does Peter say in these texts about the importance of both government and church leadership and how Christians should respond to both? How should his words be applied to our situation today, regardless of where we live? First of all, First Peter chapter 2, 
verses 11 to 21. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honourable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honour all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through to 5. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter lived in a time when Christians occasionally were persecuted by government and by religious authorities. This makes all the more significant what he and Paul have to say about the proper role of government authorities, as we've just read in 1 Peter chapter 2. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through to 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, Whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid." For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, Honour to whom honour. 
For both Peter and Paul, government authorities have been put in place by God himself to act as a check against those who would do evil. Of course, there are times that ruling powers can be a problem. Christians faced this in a Peter's time, and it would only get worse for many years. But generally, the idea is that good government would preserve law and order and safety. Even today, there are examples in which law and order have broken down and one can see the desperate need for reasonable government. It is true, good government is one of the blessings of God that he has given to humanity. Peter would no doubt share Paul's conviction that good church government is important too. Paul insists in 1 Corinthians 14.40, let all things be done decently and in order, in church worship services. Peter likewise asks the church leaders to tend the flock of God that is in your charge in 1 Peter 5.2. They are to do so with humility and care. Local churches need to be led well. Good leaders provide vision and coherence and enable others to exercise their spiritual gifts for the glory of God. And so to finish today, 1 Peter 5.5 says that you should clothe yourself with humility toward one another. How can we learn to do that? What can you do yourself to apply this in your own interaction with others? Thursday, June 22, The Primacy of Scripture Question. Read the following passages. What do they say about the Bible that could help us to understand today what its role should be in our lives and faith? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12 to 12 reads, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. And first Peter chapter sorry, second Peter chapter one verses sixteen to twenty. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honour and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so... We have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 2, That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, 
and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour. And Second Peter 3.16 As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. In his second letter, Peter confronts false teachers. He directs his readers to two sources of authority when he says, You should remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Saviour spoken through your apostles. 2 Peter 3.2 Today we have the same recourse to the words of the holy prophets, that is, the Old Testament. The living apostles are no longer available to us, of course. But, in a sense, we have something better, their inspired testimony as revealed in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John left us the definitive story of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. In the Acts of the Apostles, we've been left accounts of the Apostles' activities, and indeed, we can read the inspired words of the Apostles themselves. Paul writes strongly about the authority of God's Word in 2 Timothy 3.16. Peter, then, is directing his readers to Scripture as the source of doctrinal and moral authority. In 2 Peter 3.16, Peter warns his readers and listeners that even though Scripture is the source of truth, without careful attention to the message that the Holy Spirit would have us understand, the source of truth itself can be misunderstood. And this can lead to terrible consequences. His words should be a good reminder to us now about basic principles for studying the Bible. We should read a passage of Scripture prayerfully. We should read it with regard to its context within the chapter, the book, and the entire Bible itself. What was the author specifically talking about when he wrote? We should read it in the light of the historical circumstances in which it was written. In the case of First and Second Peter, this would be the Roman Empire of the first century. We should read it seeking spiritual insight and with the knowledge that the salvation brought about by the sacrificial death of Christ is the centre of the biblical message, as we read just moments ago in First Peter 1 verses 10 through to 12. Finally, we should read it in the context of our own lives. What truth does God wish us to receive? How can we apply the written word to our own lives in a way that will make a positive contribution to the kingdom of God? Friday, June 23. Even amid the heavy theology, Peter's letters put a strong emphasis on Christian life and how we should treat one another. In other words, yes, we need to know the truth as it is in Jesus. But even more important, we need to live the truth too. Early on, we get these grand words in 1 Peter 1.22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. 
Notice how he links the purifying of our souls with obedience to the truth. The truth changes us, making us into people who love one another fervently and with a pure heart. Obedience, purity of heart and love, all three are related to one another. This is the ideal we should be striving for. Can you imagine how different our lives and our churches would be were we to follow this charge? Think what it would do for the sense of church unity, if nothing else. As Ellen White writes in Selected Messages, Book 2, pages 373 to 374, Brethren, will you carry the Spirit of Christ with you as you return to your homes and churches? Will you put away unbelief and criticism? We are coming to a time when, more than ever before, we shall need to press together to labour unitedly. In union there is strength, in discord and disunion there is only weakness. End of quote. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. 1. In Second Peter 3 and verse 12, the Apostle wrote that we should be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. What does he mean that we should be hastening the day of God? How can we hasten the day of God, that is, the second coming? Two, we say that nature is God's second book. Unfortunately, as with God's first book, the Bible, this second book can be misinterpreted. For example, for many people, the message of design and purpose has been expunged from nature, replaced by the Darwinian notion of random mutation and natural selection. The world, we are told, isn't really designed. Rather, it just looks that way to us. How then are we to read and interpret this second book in the right way? What are the limits of what the second book can teach us about God? What help can we get from the first book that can aid us in understanding the second one correctly? What happens when our interpretation of nature, the second book, contradicts our interpretation of the first one, the Bible? Where is the problem? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Mother of Many, Part 3, and it's written by Anastasi Na, who is a Bible worker in Yawande in Cameroon. She also has carried on an extensive ministry among prostitutes in the city, offering them hope for a better life here and a future in heaven. Several of the women, as well as her boys, have given their hearts to the Lord. The story continues. The pastor in Pierre's hometown told us that the church was planning evangelistic meetings soon, and Pierre promised to attend. Later, the pastor informed me that Pierre had been baptised and was attending church faithfully. One more lost sheep has found his way home. Other boys in our group left the city, promising to return home. I continued meeting with the boys who stayed. They formed a tight and protective circle around me and did not want any other boys to join the grip. Often they would warn me, Mama, watch out for that boy over there. Do not trust him. He might try to steal your bag. 
But in spite of their efforts to protect me from newcomers, it was not long before the group of boys had grown from fifteen to more than thirty. It became harder and harder for me to provide a nutritious meal for the boys every week. I could not afford that much food or the time to prepare it. My heart ached for these boys, but I could not continue feeding them. Others offered to help occasionally, but still the task fell on me. At last I had to tell them that I could not continue providing a meal. I did continue to meet with them regularly, and whenever they saw me around town, they would always call me Mama. I continued to pray for them as well, asking God to speak to them, so that they would be ready to meet Him in heaven, where the table is always filled with food. This quarter, a portion of the 13th Sabbath offering will help to build a mission academy for young people in Libreville, Gabon. The school will provide a way to minister to many youth in this French-speaking West African country. The 13th Sabbath offering also will help to build a youth centre at Babcock University in Nigeria, where the majority of the 10,000 university students are non-Seventh-day Adventists, including many Muslims who are coming from the north of Nigeria. For more inspiring mission stories from around the world, visit www.adventistmission.org slash missionquarterlies and www.mission360.org. You can also find us on Facebook. Thank you for supporting Adventist Mission through your prayers and generous gifts. And this lesson marks... 20 years of recording this service for Christian services for the blind, for those who are visually impaired. It also marks exactly 10 years since the beginning of the podcast, which has been accessed all around the world via the internet. It has been a pleasure for me to read this for you during all this time. In the next 48 hours, I'll be undergoing major surgery and it may affect my voice. This lesson was recorded on the 20th of April. My operation is on the 22nd of April, and I expect that if everything goes well, I'll be able to record July's lesson sometime early in June or in late May. So, if you hear someone else reading it, I hope it's only temporary till my voice is back to normal, and then I'd like to be back reading the lessons for you. I look upon those who listen as part of my family. And I'd like you to continue with your faith as I continue with mine. And remember, as I say each week, God is always faithful. This service is brought to you by the Seventh-day Adventist Church through the Services of Hope Channel and is recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Australia. God bless each one of you, and I look forward to being with you again next quarter. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harrell. It was recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind. This podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel.